This is 8-Bit, episode 28, Net Gain, on Sunday, March 17th, 2013, and now, Seducing. Yeah. This episode is hosted by Ian Buck and Ian Decker, with guest John Gosling. (laughs) So, what do you guys do uh, for St. Patrick's Day? You got any, like, you know, traditions or anything? Um, kind of, I'll obviously wear green, and then my family always used to have corned beef, um, and cabbage in honor of it. One of which is green, hopefully. Mm-hmm. No, no, by then it's pretty white. <laughs> the cabbage? Yes. Okay. Because you boil it and it takes uh... all the chlor- what, what little chloroform it has left. I see, I see. Uh, well, so. we've been, uh, my family every year, ever since, uh, this came out is we've been watching the, the story of St. Patrick, which is a VeggieTales short. It's, uh, it's very cute and very, it's really good. I enjoy it. It's a flannel graph. Yep. It's really funny. How about you, John? Um, well, uh, I'm in Chicago and the, the city gets pretty rowdy and drunk on a normal weekend. So, uh, St. Patty's Day is a bit chaotic outside. Don't they uh, stain the, I'm sorry. They do. They do dye the river green. Uh, okay. It's bright green. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty cool to see. But, uh, yeah, I definitely like to stay out of Wrigleyville and the other, uh, have heavily uh, soaked districts right now. <laughs> yeah, can't do that quite yet. Got a few more months still. Which, ironically, happens... My 21st birthday is on the third day of RA training. <laughs> oh, nice. college, so... Oh, man, they are going to take you out there to the bars, and <laughs> it's going to be terrible, I bet. If, if I get rehired, I find that out on Thursday. Right. I had my interview last week, so... Well, have Hoping you have you been caught doing anything illegal yet this year? No. Okay, you'll probably fine. <laughs> well, maybe they only hire a few. But oh, that's really? For really? Something else. Yeah, they try and have as cycle as many people through as possible. Huh. So they have a few returners to be mentors for the newbies that come through. Hmm. But for the most part, it's brand new staff each year. Cool. And there's like somewhere around 200 people applying this year, and they only can accept a little over 60 of them. So yeah. I didn't realize how popular a position it was until I went to a meeting to see if I wanted to do it. And like, it seemed like half the campus was there. And I was like, okay. Yeah. I mean, a bunch of people are probably drawn in by the fact of, hey, free housing. Yeah. Yep. That's the big one. And a single. And you guys have sinks. Unbelievable. Yes. Well, just just in this, in this dorm, in the other... Well, th- this one has a sister dorm, and that one has sinks too. But in the other first year dorm, there's no sinks and an even smaller room. So, so today today is an auspicious day because today our podcasts actually get legit. Because <laughs> instead of just having you know uh, e- either Ian's friends or my friends just on here, you know, talking about what games they like to play today. 
we have a real live game developer coming to talk about the game that he is making. Everybody, this is John Gosling from uh, Chicago. Everybody. He, uh, he's the founder of Level Zero Games, and they are currently working on their new game, NetGain Corporate Espionage. That's correct. It's, uh, it's an exciting time. We just launched our Kickstarter. Uh, we hit our goal within a week, and we're uh, still raising more funds. Um, and yeah, we're just going to be working on this project for the next year. We have a few uh, secondary projects running as, w- as well. Uh, so it's going to be a pretty exciting year. And uh, so John was uh, previously on the uh, Control Structure Show, which is one of our sister shows on the network. Um, you can go listen to that episode. It was uh, episode number 17. Um, I listened to it. It was pretty good. I enjoyed it. <laughs> um, so as we, uh, as we always start off all of our new uh, guests, we, uh, well, let's, let's have a little interview with, uh, with John. So, John, how did you first get into video games in general? I have always loved video games, games in general. Um, otherwise, you know, family board game night, whatever else. Um, actually, I think a big part of it is my dad actually uh, plays strategy games on occasion. Um, and he used to play uh, Lord of the Realms. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, late at night, I'd you know, sneak down and I, I'd join him and, you know, command some of the battles for him and... Uh, <laughs> It was a, a nice, fun experience, and I, I've kind of been just been playing around and making games uh, since I was a kid. Now you're you're a little bit older than the rest of us, uh, so you probably got started a few console generations before we did. What was what was your first uh, what was your first console? Well, well actually, uh, I was a bit late to the consoles. I'm much more of a, a PC guy. I've uh, always been kind of more on that side. Um, I didn't really get the console until uh, the PlayStation and the 64 with Zelda and Final Fantasy VII uh, pretty much at the same time, which was a great, you know, start into the console world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of the same way in that my family didn't really have any consoles. and um, we I grew up originally playing video games where I was playing with my dad all the time, so I totally get where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, yeah, the work computer was a great way to sneak some games on there. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and and the old computers with uh, I had a actually I got one of the old work computers. It was such a had DOS shell on it, which was you know the fancy DOS with actual like file structures. And uh, so I got a, a chance to play around with basic programming with that, um, and of course the uh, the games with uh, the gorillas throwing exploding bananas at each other. If anyone might remember <laughs> that one, nope. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, it's it's definitely been a desktop uh, gamer for for most of my life, and it's still my my go to place. Just actually informs a lot of why I did that game. It's very much a traditional PC kind of game. Mm-hmm. All right. So, what is your favorite genre? Then? Um, I think as a game designer, it's really important that I, I branch out and play as much as I can. Um, I, I have a lot of genres I really like. Uh, I think I tend to get more into strategy games, um, so I always kind of keep coming back to those. But I'll, I'll play, you know, uh, first-person shooters, uh, action games, puzzle games, uh, adventure games, whatever, whatever else works. Yeah, strategy is definitely my my go-to, though. Do you like turn-based strategy, real-time strategy, some of the alternative stuff like what you design? Uh, 
turn base or the, the grand strategy as, as they call it. Uh, so like Europa Universalis, uh, stuff like that. Um, real time strategy. I, I started liking it when I first introduced it with like, well, they did it a while ago, but when it got popular with Warcraft. Um, but, uh, I think I kind of fell out of that when it became a bit more, you know, uh, what do they call it? The macro play and and all about actions per second or actions per yeah. minute. Oh god, per <laughs> second! Oh man. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's not quite uh, the competitive side of that the whole like speed and reflex thing. That's not really my forte. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same with me. That's why I usually play uh, Civilization Five. Mm-hmm. Much more my pace. Yeah, the Civilization series has been fantastic. I've been playing it for I think since the second one. I didn't get it. Get, get, I didn't get around to the first one. Hmm. But, uh, and the Elder Scrolls, uh, Daggerfall was actually the reason I wanted to get into games originally, because um, it was you know the, the big open world, procedurally generated thing, uh, and that was always really exciting to open up every time. So, on a related note, what is your favorite game of all time? Um, jeez, I don't know if I could pick one favorite. <laughs> um, Just throw out a few then. Oh man. Uh, I definitely think the Civilization series altogether, um, Civilization and Daggerfall, uh, uh, Morrowind was amazing in lots of ways. Uh, the gameplay wasn't quite the snuff, but it was a beautiful world, completely original concept. Um, that was really kind of opened up what you can do with a setting. That's going to do the same thing every time. Um, but it's, uh, definitely lots and lots of long nights playing Civilization. <laughs> I think I might have to get into the game a little bit more then. <laughs> I own it. I bought it with this guy over here yeah. um, a while back, but I haven't really played it too much. So I think I might have to get into that. A bit and we learned an important lesson that day because we got it when it was on sale at Best Buy for like, what was it, like $35 or something like that. And then uh, and then a week later, it went on, ste- on sale on Steam for even less. <laughs> and we were like, oh, man. So always, always get the Steam sale. Yeah, always. Always. <laughs> If it's not happening now, just wait. Just wait a while. It'll just, happen. Just wait till summer or fall. That's when all the good deals yep. are. Or Christmas. Yeah. Their the fall and Christmas sales seem to get like bigger and longer, and they're sort of merging into this mega just sale. First semester sales. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just don't do your schoolwork sale. Just... Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. And I mean, now they're starting to have. Uh, other sorts of sales, like with this past weekend, they were doing the Ubisoft sale. Oh yeah, yeah. They've done. Uh, they've been doing publisher weekends uh, every once in a while I, for as long as I can remember. Yeah, and definitely with their last sale, um, like you know, you might have heard uh, when Valve brought on the Economist. Um, and I think a lot of that was showing in the last sale when they saw all those weird different ways. Like you had the, the, the voting challenge, you had like the flash sales, you had a bunch of different methods. Um, I think that's really just some kind of experimenting, trying to figure out, you know, the best method to use. Yeah, because the, they like kind of give out achievement sorts of things for doing things in a sale. Yeah. As a as a friend of mine once told me, Steam is a is a game that is uh, pay to win, <laughs> but it's a good game. Yeah. And if you're just patient, then you have to pay less to win. Yes. Yeah. All right, so sort of in a complete and total opposite direction of what we were just going, what's the game that you hate the most? <laughs> uh, well, again, on the game designer front, I don't tend to hate games. Uh, e- even games that are, uh, well, evil, 
like some Skinner boxes on Facebook, social games kind of stuff. <laughs> they're, they're, they're still interesting and engaging in the usual, like like breaking down the mechanics kind of way. Hmm. But, uh, but I definitely, uh, fighting games, I'm not good at. Like, I, I appreciate them. I love the art style. But as far as like timing out counterattacks and blocks and all that, I, I just don't have a head for it. Um, and of course, the, the Skinner box social games uh, are kind of not... The, the, the whole like like waiting and collecting points like the, the, when you play enough of them you see they all have like the exact same structure yeah but this it's one's about the mafia thing. and this one's about <laughs> zombies they're completely different oh man and this one's all the sims <laughs> what was it, yeah, it was, uh... recently i think zynga straight up came out and said you know people are are you know blo- talking about this originality thing way too much like nobody ever comes up with original ideas anymore it doesn't matter if we're copying anybody and i was like really are you are you seriously going there zynga <laughs> they're on the decline though yeah zynga starting to starting their fall from grace which is bound to happen when that bubble bursts oh zynga so now uh, this uh, this question definitely pertains more to you than to uh, other people. But how did you uh, get into game development? Um, well, I uh, I was actually trained to be an artist for most of my life, um, but I was kind of hoping to do game art. <laughs> but uh, after I went to the school there at Institute, I realized it wasn't quite the direction I wanted to go in. Uh, I took a bit of a hiatus, and then when I came back to it, I saw Columbia College um, in Chicago has a game design program. Um, so I thought, might as well go for the whole thing and jump on there. Cause I mean, I've, I've been making games of my own for uh, a while, like like prototype card games, or when I was a kid, I'd put together little board games and try to force my sisters to play them. Um, but yeah, no, it's just uh, something I've always kind of been doing. Sweet. All right, oh, I suppose the next one is me, isn't it? Probably. <laughs> probably. So... Um, what advice would you have for any aspiring game developers? Uh, make games. Um, I actually took a bit too long to get onto this as well. You know, I'd be screwing around making design documents or concepts or mock-up arts and all that stuff. But it, it's really there's no better education than actually making something, even if it's a small clone, if it's like a breakout clone, or uh, just whatever it takes, just to start making stuff and going through the process. Uh, it's a huge, hugely beneficial experience. Now, obviously, um, you know, before you finish with your first game, uh, you have to really support yourself financially other ways. What were you doing? Uh, I don't know contract work. Uh, there's, uh, I, I run a summer camp program for some kids uh, where we teach uh, Arch Authority and Programming, which is tons of fun, and they're, um, they're, they're adorable and hilarious and great times. Uh, I've also written some tutorials, uh, like I did a Minecraft modding tutorial for, um, for ID Tech 365. Um, but mainly I was, uh, when I got out of school, just kind of trying to find some work and we had the node, uh, card game. Um, although that mostly just paid for its own costs. Um, but so really this was the, uh, this Kickstarter is the, the, the thing that's pushing me up to being able to do this full time. Cool. Um, so what do you think of the indie market in general? I love it. Uh, it's, it's all the things I love about the PC gaming market in the first place. It's, you can put out anything and you can try it. Uh, 
I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with uh, Dwarf Fortress or Toady. I've heard of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I actually found out one of one of his games. Oh, I found one of his games much earlier. Um, just being, being one of those internet things, you can just find games uh, like World War One Medic, where there's two trenches and the, the automated troops go out and they kill each other and they die and they run back to their trench. And your role is to go out and collect people and bring them back to the trench for treating. Um, but it's just this really like novel mechanic. It, it was like original gameplay that I would not be able to find on a console or anywhere else. Um, and I think the indie market really is kind of captures that whole essence of being able to do a wide range of things, be able to do these, these small experiments and trying new mechanics and being able to get that out there. And do you think, do you think that, um, it's succeeding the, you know, indie market? I mean, obviously we have a few breakout, you know, titles that everybody knows like Minecraft. Um, but do you think, do you think it's, uh, it's viable for most people to develop independently? Uh, I think it depends on what you mean by viable. Um, it's definitely something that is, is, is possible. There's a lot more interest in it. It's a growing market. Um, and actually, the the suits are noticing this, and they're you know trying to pick up more of the, the indie mindset or trying to pick up at least the buzzwords. Yeah. Uh, like when they had the, the – I think it was, was it EA or Ubisoft that did the, the indie pack? Um, a oh, bunch THQ of, did a humble bundle. Mm-hmm. There's, the, there's the THQ Humble Bundle, yeah. and, and someone else co-opted the, the, the phrase indie for packaging a bunch of their uh, smaller games together. Oh yeah, I think that was EA. I I remember seeing that on Origin, yeah. yeah it's it's good in that it's there tend to be smaller games, so you can use less investment to try new things, and it's less risk. Um, but it still allows for that opening of new options and new gameplay, new story, and uh, yeah. I think it's fantastic. Then what advice um, would you have for anyone who can do the programming but can't necessarily do the design work? Uh, design work, you can learn. Um, I'm actually coming at this from the other side of most uh, one-man studios in that uh, I'm not a programmer going to design. I'm a designer coming to programming. Um, so I, I very much learned programming just so I could make my own games. Um and if I, if I can do that, then a programmer can definitely learn design. Uh, but a lot of it is a lot of it is just playing and breaking down games and understanding the concepts. Um, but there are some great books I would recommend. Uh, the Art of Design is definitely the first one. It's absolutely amazing. Um, past that, there's uh, Rules of Play is good. Um, a few others listed to that really kind of stand out. Yeah, definitely art design is a huge boon for starting to get into the mindset of a game designer and what you need to think about. Cool. So, uh, let's... Sorry, as in, like, I'm just looking up um, the books on Barnes & Noble so we can throw them into the show notes for anyone who might want to tap into that. So is it the yeah, art Ryan, of game Ryan's design? on that. <laughs> Ryan's on that as well? He, he was, he was uh, uh, yeah, searching I think them. it probably is uh, the art of game design. It's the one by Jesse Snell. Yeah. Yeah, but that is the book. Okay. And what was the other one? Uh, the other one is Rules of Play, uh, written by Salen and Zimmerman. Rules of Play. Salen. Sweet. I'm sure that anyone who's listening will be happy to pick these guys up. Yeah. Every single one of our listeners, they're going to buy the books. Every yeah. single one of them. <laughs> totally. I think the art of design is definitely the best uh, technical book. Rules of Play is a bit more 
bit more conceptual, um, but still a good read. All right, so let's move uh, more into the specific reason that you're here, which is to talk about net gain. All right. Um, so yeah, why don't you just kind of let's actually let's see uh, let's see give us your uh, your elevator pitch. You know, like thirty seconds, kind of what this right. game is. NetGain is a world of near-future corporate espionage. It's all about finding the right team, investigating the competition, planning elaborate missions, and taking them down to dominate the market. It's a strategy game. It's it's all about figuring out and building this network of operations together to, to build up your own corporation, to acquire more assets, to become more powerful, uh, collect resources to use against your enemy. Um, and it's really engaging in a lot uh, more action than just you know shooting someone or stealing something. It's there. There's there's social conflicts. There's casing pl- locations. Uh, there's there's hacking. It's it's anything your team can do to to further your advantage. So are the me- game mechanics the thing that you're the most excited about for this game then? Or? Uh, yeah, it's uh, an elaborate collection of systems. It's a uh, it's it's very much got a lot of simulation elements uh, to it as well as far as uh, the world's just this living place with these operatives uh, doing their own thing uh, while the game plays like they'll either go off and train or do their own the story elements or they'll uh, get hired by the corporations to run against you and um, it's just kind of this, this living world and your interactions with these operatives is you know try to find the best use for them and try to keep them loyal and try to uh, plan these missions and make sure that you can get to your goal without everything falling apart. So are you saying that my, my operatives could go off and just get themselves into trouble without me, like, you know, telling them to <laughs> it, uh, they, they could get in trouble, uh, because of other things they have done. Um, for example, if, if they have, uh, loyalty towards rival corporations, then there's a chance that those other corporations might try to bribe them to either flip or to be a mole, um, which is always a, a risk. Um, and then the, the operatives themselves will actually generate heat when they, you know, if, if they uh, get into a shootout or blow something up or anything that draws much attention to them. And as long as an operative has heat, uh, as long as an operative has heat on him, uh, they can be found by your enemies. So they might be, you know, chilling back in their pad when the door gets broken down, and they get shot to pieces. That would be a problem. Yeah, you need to take care of your guys and make sure they stay safe. Damn it, Bob! <laughs> How would you do that, then? Uh, well, you can uh, put them out in safe houses until the heat dies down. Um, you can keep them close to corporate headquarters. Um, the problem is normally uh, that the heat happens when they're out on missions, causing problems. So it's kind of hard to wonder if you want to try to extract them right away, or do you need to send someone in there to help them out, or do you want to have them kind of lay low in enemy territory? Um yeah, so there, there's more options, and, and as the game evolves, um, is the game is very much intentionally designed to be evolved. Um, so that's why when starting a prototype coming out in June, uh, the game development is going to continue, and more features will be added and connected together, and uh, more of the simulation will be hooked in. So in other words, if a company builds something like they had in war games and programs this in, they're going to be an unstoppable company. In the world. Oh, what was that? So if a company decides... <laughs> Or if a company builds a computer like the one from in War Games, the movie War Games with Matthew mm-hmm. Roderick that came out a few years ago and installs this game and runs it as a simulation and they'll have an unstoppable company. <laughs> well, the, uh, the corporations, uh, whenever someone tends to cut ahead of the pack, everyone else seems to gang up on them and tear them back down. 
So uh, people very much make sure that no one's going to be able to beat them. Yeah. Sense. Sounds like real life. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so, near future, how how far ahead in the future are we talking here? It's thirty years in the future, so twenty forty three. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's far enough where we have a lot of interesting new things happening. A lot of new buildings are up. A lot of new locations. A lot of new tech. Um, but still, just close enough where it's relatable to where we are now, and you can, the events that are happening in the world are very clearly um, caused by current events. Hmm. So this is definitely well, well, not definitely, but this is a possibly foreseeable future. Yes, very much so. Um, part of the elements of the net game setting uh, is I'm trying to design it to be as relatable as possible. Um, we draw lots of inspiration from Ghost in the Shell, uh, the series specifically, um, and I love that that realistic feeling to the world. Um, and so there's that, and then there's Blade Runner as well, which was uh, strongly noted for its aesthetic of combining real existing buildings with this tech kind of placed on top, because that's how it would happen. It's, it's you revamp what we have; we can't just tear it all down and build it again. So it definitely still has that Blade Runner and Ghost in the Shell aesthetic. Mm. So you guys have uh, an Android app, which is uh, called NetGain Stories, mm-hmm. and uh, I went uh, and played the first story last night, and I definitely noticed, yeah, that like, you know, walking up to the bouncer and just, you know, paying, paying, pay, giving him a bribe, you know, with your smartphone, um, you know, walking around, putting on a, a, a visor thing, and I was like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what, you know, Google Glass is going to do. <laughs> um, so like... It you know it's 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 technology that I could understand, but it was technology that actually works. Like you know <laughs> the way that the way that our technology is supposed to work now, but it you know never really does. Well, they they still have all their bugs and all their oh, compatibility issues, and so your com link might not be able to link to someone else's. You might have to go through some third party apps to get them to see what you see. And hmm. but uh, but yeah, it is definitely uh, all the cool prototypes that we have now. Those are commercial products. Yeah. Um, uh, stories. Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, stories actually is um, something that I'm trying to revive right now. Um, I'm looking for another programmer to uh, pick up the work, and uh, we, we're trying to give it the polish that it needs. And I have a whole staff of writers and artists that want to make stuff for it. So as soon as I get that programmer, we'll be able to revitalize that and bring a bunch of new stories out. Yeah, I noticed that there's like uh, like five stories listed in there, but I think the only one, only the first one is playable, right? Yeah, the other ones were were planned, um, but it is it, it kind of definitely got put on the shelf uh, for net game corporate espionage. Um, that is something that I want to be able to revisit once we have uh, a proper programmer to support it. Cool. So, is the game net game going to have a story? Uh, yes. Okay. Um, it is at its heart an open world strategy game, um, but there is a uh, there, are, there are side plot missions, and there's the main storyline mission line. Um, they're they're a lot like the existing missions, except for certain plots will be predecided, and they'll have unique events. Hmm. So instead of just you know stealing uh, some prototype, you might be stealing a specific story piece, and your guys will run into very specific unique problems along the path that'll unfold into a more elaborate conspiracy. Hmm. So kind of like, you know, the difference between playing Command and Conquer on campaign mode versus playing Command and Conquer in skirmish mode. Right. And it's all part of the same living world. So it's actually a lot like uh, Uplink, if you guys uh, have had a chance to play that, um, by uh, Introversion. Uh, 
we actually draw a lot of um, our aesthetic design from uh, Introversion as well. As I, I love their uh, in in Uplink and Darwinia, you had the sense of you, the player, are in the game, and like 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 you sitting at your terminal is is part of the whole gameplay aesthetic. Mm. That's sort of something where I'm, I'm I'm trying to draw in for the broker as well. It's just like this is your terminal, and you're commanding these guys through your terminal. Um, but Uplink uh, has a lot of that same feel where you could go and you know break hack into banks or social security and whatever else and change stuff, do do jobs on the side. But there was that central plot line you could pick up and follow. Cool. Yeah. Um, so, like, is there going to be like a main villain of the game, or is it just all the enemy companies sort of all at once? Uh, villain is kind of a <laughs> loaded word <laughs> in, uh, in that game. Antagonist. Uh, I like yeah. That. Um, there the, the antagonists kind of uh, coming in and out depending on your choices during the mission. Um, uh, for example, one of the the central elements is the choir, which is sort of a evolution of the anonymous uh, action, um, and it's this uh, this cloud computing hacker group that brings in a bunch of other hackers to do these big attacks, and they're very much hacktivist kind of people. Um, and so, if you go up against them directly, then they will be your antagonist. But if you choose to focus on someone else, then you might actually be using them to your advantage, depending on if you're if your interests align. Hmm. Um, that game is a very amoral and gray world, and so any enemy can easily be an ally. So if you if you make yourself look like enough of a good guy, then they might, you know, leave you alone at the very least. They have their own uh, agenda, mm-hmm. and if your agenda lines up with theirs, then it's all the same. Like you might want to stop someone else's war uh, because if they want to stop it because war is bad, and you want to stop it because you know it's damaging your arms sales and. And maybe, you know, start one of yourself afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Well, how would you want to stop a war? How would that be bad for your arms sales? <laughs> well, if you don't have the contracts. Mm, I suppose. You want to make sure that's, you know, a war that you have control over. Yeah. Well, really, I'm just going to have to sort of shut my personal self inside <laughs> when I play this game. And you can play, uh, like the thing, it's, it's a very... Like I said, amoral. It's you can play it as you want to. There, there's no good or evil choices. It's your choices. The, the events are often mixed uh, choices. You can choose not to screw over your operatives and keep them loyal by you know paying them well, treating them right, and not putting them in dangerous situations. Um, and those are all good guy acts, but mechanically they're they're just your choices as a player. So how does the game evolve? That's one of the things that I'm the most curious about is, um, like, how is it going to evolve to the way that you play and the way that you make decisions? Uh, what do you mean by... Uh... As in, like, the external world, the way that the external world interacts with you. I suppose that's not really a good way of putting it. Um, so, like, how will your decisions affect um, the status quo? Okay. Uh, yeah. I guess in, in sort of a programming question is how are you going to make it register so that these decisions have these impacts on the world and these ah. decisions have these impacts on everyone? Yes. Um, so there's different uh, scales of impacts. Um, the most direct and literal is on the operative level. level. Um, so your operatives will run to events during missions or sometimes even off mission. Um, and these events, you have a choice, and your choice will have a very direct effect on those operas involved. Um, uh, for example, you might be putting them in additional risk. You might be going against their own interests. 
Um, but those uh, events can then kind of radiate out. And like if, if you choose an event that causes an operator to become disloyal, they may choose to work for another corporation, and that may cause that corporation to uh, use that operative to start a war with you, and suddenly you're feuding between these two uh, corporations ripping apart a market. And that uh, upset that upset in the market can lead to other corporations trying to get in and pick up the, the pieces that they fall, and suddenly you start this whole competition where there wasn't one before. Um, and the other AI, um, it's, it's something that will be continually evolving as the game goes on, um, but they do look for those openings in, in the world, and, and depending on what you do and what you change, different events will take place, different changes. Uh, there's, there are these things called conspiracies, which are basically these um, more elaborate missions where you piece together a few normal missions to cause some big event to change, like starting a war, uh, opening a new industry, um, shifting powers uh, like politically. Um, but yeah, so there's quite a few ways that these effects can, can ripple out or have much more direct impact. So in um, in Civilization, the a lot of the you know leaders have kind of consistent personalities. For example, you know you can always count on Montezuma to stab you in the back at some point during the game. Um, right. Are the are the different corporations in in that game going to kind of have um, consistent yeah. um, kind of actions throughout different game uh, playthroughs, or are they going to just be completely random? Well, I mean, now that we um, if we hit the twenty five thousand dollar goal line, we'll get the war room. Um, I'm, I'm pretty confident we're going to hit that, um, and that introduces executives. So uh, an executive, um, every executive carries one trait, um, and the executives in charge of a corporation will determine how that corporation acts. So if you have a very aggressive CEO or if you have um, a researcher who's really into weaponry, then, then those interests and traits will direct how that corporation acts. It'll affect their aggression. It'll affect their uh how much risk they're willing to take in new markets, if they're going to try to consolidate their own, um, if they use like very underhanded means, if they're more violent killers, or if they try to do more passive social actions. Um, so as long as we can keep producing new traits, interact with the um, underlying corporate AI, uh, then yeah, those ex- executives will be able to kind of moderate that, which is to your advantage actually, because if there's a, an enemy CEO who's leading a war because he's a warlike guy, and you could take him out and maybe give him a replacement that will want to call a, a truce. I think that's it for most questions that I have off the top of my head. Oh, um, um, is there going to be multiplayer? Multiplayer is currently not in scope. Okay. Um, I am pretty much a one-man development house on this project, uh, so I'm doing the, the, the art and the code and the design. Um, if it was possible to raise like 60,000 on this thing. I might be able to hire on someone else to do it, but I, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but I am designing it with multiplayer at some future point in mind. Um, it is a common requested feature. I think it could have some potential to be a lot of fun here. Um, I mean, I, I would love to stab you in in the back at some point <laughs> without having to actually do it in real life. Love you too, bro. <laughs> Uh, the focus is, is very much still on that, that single-player game of having complete authority over what happens in your world. Um, but yeah, multiplayer, currently not in scope, but definitely not out of the question for the later-on phases of the game, like post-1.0. And so speaking of that, um, I believe 
you are aiming to bring the prototype to us in June? Yes. And then uh, the you know final release of the game will be... Um, it's vaguely uh, quarter one 2014, but it's... Uh, I'd much rather uh, make this a game that I can continue to develop and expand. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of like Dwarf Fortress or Minecraft, where it's always having some new features added and new tweaks and expanding and uh, there's a lot of room for a game like this to grow without ca- causing undue complexity. Um, so, so hopefully, as long as the funds keep coming in, I'm going to be able to keep developing this game and make it better and bigger and really have it grow into all the things it can do. Sounds and like a good first plan prototype to is, uh, Yeah, The first prototype is going to be pretty simplistic, but uh, it's, uh, it's clipping along. Mm-hmm. Now, the... Um... The visual style, um, everything that you have on the on the Kickstarter page, you know, is very eight bit esque. Eight, yeah, pixel art. Um, so, is is that going to be what the final game looks like? Yes. All right. Um, there's, there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, I, I know uh, the other guys brought it up as well. Uh, control structure, mm-hmm. but uh, it's it's a style that I'm familiar with. It's a style that I can produce a lot of content quickly for, um, which is important since I'm also doing the programming, and I need to make sure to balance out my workload for that. Um, but also, uh, NetGain is a setting that I want to open up to people. Um, I, w- I want to get community feedback and community input, and uh, pixel art is a very accessible style to a lot of people. Um, so people will be able to create art assets and new operatives and stuff that mesh well with this current style. And anything that's really good, if it's a setting, we can incorporate into the game. So uh, it's really intentionally designed to let people get involved with the game. I I hope it uh, scales well to, you know, 27-inch monitors, for example. (laughs) Um, I mean, I I tried, uh, you know, playing um, Super Brothers Sword and Sorcery on, you know, both my Nexus 7 and then on on my desktop... And I was like, yep, I'm going to stick with the Nexus 7 on this one because <laughs> <laughs> everything's huge. Uh, it'll be uh, pretty big. But, yeah. Uh, try try playing just, you know, the Game Boy emulator on your desktop. <laughs> I'll just like lean back. You know. <laughs> here's, my, here's my controller. Yeah. Um, so here's a question that Ryan wanted us to ask. Uh, how much will the game cost when it launches? Um, probably for, you know, the people who... Don't kickstart the project. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been planning on sticking with the twenty dollars price tag, um, so I'm planning to sort of ride that out. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there'll be if we end up on Steam, and we might have a Steam sale at some point. But uh, right now, I'm just pretty much set on having a solid twenty dollars price tag for for getting into the game, and that's you know the lifetime license. And then that will include all of these, you know, updates and extra content that you're planning. Yeah, it includes every uh, content update and feature um, for the the core game. Yeah, awesome. Very cool. Um, so, on a related note, I guess uh, do we want to talk about the the different tiers that you have on the Kickstarter? Uh, we can. Um, obviously, uh, pledging a dollar or more is just uh, you know you <laughs> you've supported the game. Yay! Yay! Some people just like to throw support in something and they don't really care about the products. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, that sort of thing. In a way, it's 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 also kind of nice because sometimes you don't necessarily have enough to pledge as much as you want. Right. But it's like, we want you to succeed. Here's our thumbs up in our hopes <laughs> and everything. So. Yeah. 
I mean, a lot of people are starting to forget this now with all the success, but Kickstarter is about donating and, and pledging and, and about helping projects out. It wasn't supposed to be a pre-order service as kind of becoming. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. so there's all that kind of basic people who just want to help out a project because I think it's cool. And I mean, I'm not complaining that, you know, by helping out a project, I'm going to get the final product either. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that. Yeah, no, I, I really like that that model. And the, the whole crowdsourcing model, I think, is fantastic. Um, and I'm really glad that it's kind of taken off and there haven't been too many big, you know, flops or scams to scare people away from it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there will be, and it's going to be a problem when they come up more often. Um, but I, I think it's just a great model for getting these kind of small projects out there. Like, there, there's no way that game could have gotten funded any other way. And, so, uh, and I mean, we can trust you, right? Like you're, you're not, you know, just pulling us along and, and going to yeah, leave us I'm, in the dust. I'm hoping that my uh, existing uh, reputation and company helps to uh, you know, like assure people, but yeah, like, like level zero games, we, we've already have uh, two games out there. Um, we already have business contacts. We have, you know, we're, we're, we're established LLC. Um, so yeah, it's a real company, <laughs> which I think helps. But uh, yeah, it is something that you know is a bit worrisome. But I think people are getting a better idea of how to check to see if things are actually you know legit or not. Yep. Um, so then, um, of course, you know, there's the twenty dollar level where you just get the game. Um, the twenty five dollar level is uh, you get to your name in the name generator in the game. Uh, I think I think that's the level that I pledged to. Um, that's the one that I did. Yeah, because I don't have you know oodles and oodles of money, but I was like, oh, five bucks for a name? <laughs> yes. Well, we got an extra bonus for your twenty-five dollar tier people coming up soon. Ooh. Yeah. So we'll find out about that in a moment. I'm excited. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> let's see. I think uh, Ryan. Thirty dollars. Yeah, I think Ryan. Which one did you go for? You went for the company name. Well, I didn't one, do right? it yet because I didn't get paid yet. But when I do, I'm going to do the one <laughs> I can get a corporation, or I might do the one that I can do like two things. So we'll get there. Okay. Yeah. So we just need sponsors. Right. And then mm-hmm. and then we'll have money and then we can pass on right, some of right. the love. But as soon as as soon as I get paid, I'll be all over. All right. Yeah, it's uh I definitely try to tier the rewards um for like avoiding physical rewards because that sunk a lot of people's Kickstarters early on. Uh you know, they they do it and then they realize that oh, shipping and paying for the cost of all this stuff actually is more than we raised and it's uh yeah yeah our, our physical rewards are all in the pretty high tier but but more than that um i try to make sure that the rewards um they're special to the person who backed and made them but they also contribute to everyone's experience so like every backer makes everyone's game better which i think is you know a pretty cool aspect of it yeah um so then at thirty dollars you get to choose between getting your own fictional operative and your own fictional company uh, so what what exactly does getting our, your own operative mean? Like one that you get to name and then decide kind of what they look like? Is that what you mean by that? Uh, so the the operative you get full uh, character control. Um, so they have a uh, a stat point limit and a skill point limit. Ooh. And a specialist is just an operative with a higher limit, so they can get you know more skills, whatever else. Um, but yeah, you, you get to pick out uh, their name, their image, their traits, which is a huge part of defining who they are and how they interact with the world. Um, and their skill set, which is you know all of the different skills that they can learn and practice in the world, kind of defines what they're good at. Um, and and as the game expands, um, I, I'm making these canon generators for these things, 
So the idea is that as the game expands and new features are added or new content's added, um, then backers will be able to uh, adjust or update their creations and send them in to like update the in-canon version. So as you add more traits or if you added new new features to an operative, then uh, backers will be able to try it, uh, try the new stuff as well. Sweet. And uh, something that just occurred to me because of of that: Do operatives throughout the course of the game do they get you know better at what they do? Um, will they, they do. be kind of leveling up in an RPG fashion? Uh, they do. Uh, it's uh, a skill based system, so uh, operatives will uh, evolve their skills as they go on. They might unlock some gear to boost stats, um, but of course, those are all off of the baseline. So, yeah. uh, so operatives will always start the same in someone's game. But throughout the course of the game, they'll develop their own skills, or you might get killed depending on what happens to them. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it's it's they're, they're constantly evolving and changing along with the game. Our company started the same way, in that you can make something and then you're gonna or create sort of like their priorities and whatnot, and then um, have different um, or like the canon generator so that people can. Mm-hmm. Update them in sort of a similar way? Or? Uh, yeah, very much so. Um, companies and corporations are more different than operatives and specialists. Uh, so for company, uh, you get to pick what industry you're in, the name of the company, um, and as we again, as, as we unlock new features and stuff, you can update that. As we add new industries, you might decide you want to use one of those, so you can update in the Canon generator and send it back in. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and the corporation, you can pick out, you know, you pick out your executives and their traits. You can pick out, uh, and they'll kind of determine what industries you get into. And you can uh, create your own logo or have me create one for you. And uh, yeah. So speaking of specialists and corporations, those are the $40 tier uh, on the Kickstarter. And then the $50 tier is designing an asset, an asset based on your input. So what exactly is an asset? I don't think we've really talked about those in depth. So uh, the assets are the core of the economic game, and they're the thing you're fighting over. Um, An asset is a thing that gives a company an edge. Um, It can be uh, a celebrity for a talent agency. It can be a land deed for uh, a rare mineral quarry. Um, it can be a uh, legal loophole that you use uh, in some sort of political get fashion. Um, but they're infinitely expandable. Uh, most of them exist to be exploited for value. Um, so there are things that you can kind of milk to get more power for your corporation. Um, but some will, instead of gaining you uh, power, they'll actually cost you a bit of power, but they have a special effect. Like there might be a brilliant scientist uh, that'll boost your research in the company, but you know has a bit of a, a salary draw kind of drains. Hmm. And there are the rare few assets that are both, where they'll feed into your company's power, but they'll also give you neat little perks. But uh, but mostly they're this the the economic engine that drives the corporations, and they're the mm-hmm. things that your corporations are fighting each other for. Now, um, will will some uh, assets like kind of benefit you more depending on what type of company you are? Uh, uh, yes, uh, the different companies. Uh, every company has an industry, and the industry determines what assets they can have. Um, so, if you're in, you know, uh, uh, raw materials processing, then you'll you'll be able to get like foundries over else. Um, but also, assets uh, have a type, um, and that type can determine the sort of interactions they have. Uh, like the the people assets, like the celebrities and the scientists and the executives. Uh, 
the people can be bribed, they can be seduced, they can be inter- uh, intimidated, they can be assassinated. Uh, facilities can be blown up or have their land deeds stolen, whatever else. And so that the different types uh, on these assets allow your operators to interact with them in different ways to, to form different objectives to either steal or destroy them. I'm going to seduce all the people. <laughs> you know, it's a powerful tool. That was the one that I grabbed onto too. <laughs> I just kind of zoned out on that and went seducing. Yeah, hey, you have a girlfriend. Oh, you're, you're oh right. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, the operatives do the seducing. Oh, okay. Just tell them to do it. Yeah. So, so is that like one of their um, levels? Is is that one of their it, skills? It is one of their skills. Okay, yeah. <laughs> it, it's part of the, the, the charm school of uh, skills. <laughs> I love it. So, yeah. They, uh, and then actually, that the social uh, challenges are played out much like combat challenges, and they kind of have to wear down the other person's defenses and kind of win in the negotiation or the seduction or whatever else. Man, so, I wish that Skyrim have... had had this. <laughs> I mean, the best you so could I do guess. is, like, just steal people's clothes. <laughs> that could be fun. I don't think that counts as seduction. <laughs> I don't know. You got their pants off. <laughs> but, um, so basically we get we can make an army of black widows, as in the Marvel character. Oh, black my gosh. <laughs> it's, uh, you, you have to make sure you actually have that seduction as an option, of course, as well. Um, it I'll can it get you not. out of a lot of <laughs> sticky situations. Actually, there there is a uh, <laughs> some situations sticky. <laughs> there is a uh, Lothario trait um, where the operative will intentionally suggest seduction plots as much as he can. Um, so when you're building missions, he'll constantly suggest ways he could seduce people for you. <laughs> yeah. So just, just find all the Lotharios you can and hire them all. <laughs> Hire all the Lotharios. <laughs> Maybe you can find some sort of a uh, players circle and uh, start up your connection with those guys. God, why can't I play this game now? I want to play it now. <laughs> oh, where were we? I think we were uh, on fifty dollars. So gigolo circles. Um, <laughs> oh, I just came up with another terrible pun. They put the ass in assets. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. All right, I'll stop now. <laughs> oh golly! So yeah. Um, then they had a fifty or another one at the fifty level. One was a two pack where you could choose to get either um, an operative specialist company or corporation, and you can get two of any combination. Yeah. Any combination of those. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's pretty straightforward. It's the same thing as the other thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then there was a sixty dollar level, but there were only a couple of those available, and those were all gone. But they well, were the same thing as <laughs> yeah. I, I dropped the price to fifty, uh, but the two of the backers never updated their pledges and sent oh. messages, being like, "Hey guys!" It's, but uh, yeah, they're just all hanging out there, so I can't delete ah. it here. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> and then seventy five dollars is design a social circle, um, and it, and that. and you also get to the the two pack. <laughs> Um, and an asset. Yeah. Yep. And oh, and an asset. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then uh, there's another seventy-five dollar tier. Oh, there's two more seventy-five dollar tiers. Yep. Um, there's three. <laughs> where you get to design a news headline, and the you know two operative specialist companies or corporations and an asset. And then the other seventy-five dollar is designing a special mission, 
mm-hmm. and the two pack and the asset. Yeah. yeah. Um, so circles are like they're they're the groups that your operatives kind of fall into. They can they're the groups that your your operative have loyalty to. Um, so as a broker, you have different influence with different circles, and that kind of determines who you can hire. So if if you like a certain style of operative, or if you like certain certain professions better, then you can get more influence with that circle, and you can hire more of those guys. Um, do we have headline, Do we have the lollipop guild? <laughs> I, I, I don't think they're in the game yet. No. Yet. Maybe yeah. I'll just have to increase my bid, my uh, my pledge. <laughs> you can have the lollipop guild. And... I don't know what they'll be good for, but <laughs> popping all the lollies. Suckers. Wait, lollipops are sticky, right? Only after you suck them. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> All right, so bad jokes aside. I set you up for that one. I'm sorry. <laughs> At the 100 level, you then you get a portrait. Um, it's the You get the game, your name in the game, plus a portrait. So lend your likeliness to a portrait darn for your own personal broker. Gosh, yeah. I can't talk. Likeliness. <laughs> So that, that's the, uh, the little the portrait that stands for the broker. Um, most players would s- choose from a few of the standard ones, but uh, if you get the portrait level or higher, um, then you get uh, send in your picture, and I'll draw one in the pixel style for you, and you can have yourself or or one of your favorite characters or whatever else as as your broker. Hmm. Awesome. So, and the uh, the next two, the persona and VIP, are about b- becoming story characters. So that they're more about. Um, uh, you, one of the characters in the world has uses your portrait as, as their face and, and and your name, and they'll uh, be one of the many characters you encounter on the the main storyline. I would feel really weird if that happened. Like you know, I'm playing the game, <laughs> playing the game, and then Ian Buck does something, and I'm like, ah, oh, <laughs> that broker is a spy. <laughs> that engineer a spy? is a spy. <laughs> that me is a spy. Wait, what? <laughs> And then the final one, $500 or more, special edition. Special edition. You get the game, you get your name, you get the portrait, you get the VIP, you get the node. Oh, that's the game that you have already come out with. Yeah, that's the card game. Yeah. And then you get a very special edition of NetGain encased in a metal briefcase filled with goodies. Oh, does it have a like a handcuff that you can, you know, for the briefcase? It does come with a handcuff. Yes! <laughs> of course. <laughs> it's a brushed metal uh, suitcase with a handcuff to secure your goods. Uh, and it's filled with all sorts of neat things. It's got dossiers and information and a few other bits of merch that haven't been available to anyone else yet. That is legit. <laughs> And actually, the uh, I think people are going to like the dossiers. Uh, they're about uh, your character, um, so you get some background on that, and some some background on what they're doing in the world, and some secrets that only they know, and now only you know. And so you kind of have a little bit of extra knowledge about the net gain world. You can leverage that as you might like. Until it goes up on you know the net gain wiki that ever, <laughs> that somebody's going to make. <laughs> well, if they want to put it up there, they can. Yeah, it's up up to the backer. So let's see. I just gotta listen to this. That's the only that's the only pledge tier that has an actual physical thing. Oh, well, actually, the um, uh, the 150, 250 tiers also Ah. come with a you know copy node, but right. But otherwise, yeah, that's the that's that's the big the big package. There's five left. (laughs) So get them while they're hot. (laughs) And then you know when I go to brag to all of my friends that I got the special edition net game, they're gonna be like, "What? (laughs) What are you talking about?" 
Like, what is in that game? <laughs> oh, just this new indie game you've probably never heard of. <laughs> is it like a fishing game or? <laughs> <laughs> I actually I know, we'll go down I, to the coffee shop and brag about it. I really, I really <laughs> like the uh, the the title net game because the more I think about it, like the more meaning it has. I like, know, right? You know? It's awesome. <laughs> It's got the net for internet. It's got the mm-hmm. whole net gain financial term. It's got the whole, that's the whole concept of the game. It's yep. just, you can do whatever the hell you want. You can kill whatever it takes. You can burn them all just as long as you come out ahead. Burn. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So I, that is everything that I can think of that I want to ask about the game. Same here. Anything else that you feel like you want to say about the game that we haven't asked you about yet? Um, I would just say, uh, I just want to give another thanks to all of the backers that have pledged so far and to the community that has really grown around the game already. Um, it's been an overwhelming response. Uh, I didn't think we'd hit our goal that fast. I didn't, uh, I'm, I'm flabbergasted and it's, I'm, I'm thanking everyone so much. Uh, TG as well. Um, this community that I was talking to while I was developing the game. Um, and they've been a huge help in getting it off the ground. And, uh, yeah. So just thanks to everybody. It's going to be a great ride. All right. Awesome. That concludes our main topic. Now we get on to the boring yet still moderately exciting part of the news. (laughs) Well, you know, no news is good news, but we have lots of news, so I don't know how I feel about that. Some of it's it's really exciting news, though. Some of it's just Peter being annoying. (laughs) Peter being annoying. (laughs) Yeah. But before Peter. Uh, I have something else that I wanted to talk about. So, mm-hmm. some sometimes, you know, people just come out and, and think of, like, the coolest things um, that, you know, that are just so off the wall that it's, you know, it just blows you away. So, a group of game design students at the, Van, uh, the Vancouver Film School came up with the idea of playing a game as a blind character and using sound to see the world around you. Um, so... Obviously, when you think of a video game, usually, you know, you focus on the visuals, you know, and, and, you know, a lot of people go, oh, well, how's, you know, how the graphics look, you know? Well, in this one, no, not so much. Um, so they, they made a short demo of Pulse and, uh, which is the game that came out of that idea and they are kickstarting it right now. Um, and so I, I went and played the, uh, the demo that they made and basically what you do is, you know, whenever there's a sound somewhere in the world, you can then see the area immediately around that sound. So you end up, you know, running around f- picking up these cute little fuzzy things called mocos and, uh, tossing them. And then when it, wherever they land, that's, you know, you can see the terrain. Um, and it was, it was a really, it was really cool. Um, I, I did feel pretty claustrophobic at times because I, you know, I couldn't see most of anything around me and I was worried that I was going to walk off of a cliff. Um, but I imagine that that's how you would feel if you were walking around in the woods and you couldn't see anything. Blinders simulator. Yeah. And besides for the situation that they're in, those are probably the best graphics available. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then John, you also, uh, found a few other examples of this sort of, uh, concept uh, the, with the echo the visual echolocation mm-hmm. concept uh, i was just trying to find it there's a game out there uh that is completely a black screen and it's entirely done uh with stereo audio oh man i don't i don't know if i can <laughs> handle that <laughs> it, it, it's like you're you're in a maze and there's you know monsters roaming about and you have to oh. find your way through and if you hear a monster off the side you have to you know go away from them <clears throat> 
and kind of stumble your way through this maze to get to, uh, to your goal. Monsters. <laughs> the really difficult thing about a game like that would be simulating the, the you know, the sense of touch. Because, like, you know, if I'm actually walking around in a dark uh, maze, you know, I'd be able to feel the wall next to me. Right. And I, I can't remember how they did that with the maze. I'm trying to find that. Still, that, that looks really pretty cool. And actually, while I was playing, you know, a few people wandered into my room and every single one of them went go, you know, they saw the mocha in my hand and they're like, it's so cute. <laughs> oh, golly. And how many of them were women? Um, two out of the three. Yeah. <laughs> I just have women wandering into my room, by the way. It's not a bad thing. Nope. And you're usually in boxers when this happens, too, yes? I'm, Oftentimes. I'm usually what? In boxers. Um, not during the winter. No, it's too cold. Ah. <laughs> Unfortunately. I apologize, John. You were learning things about us that you probably didn't want to know. Hey, I could take off my shirt right now if I wanted to. <laughs> you could, but yes. it would be, you'd be cold. I would. All right. Ryan, turn so, up the heat. <laughs> I'll just be there with you. Anyway, um, so the folks over on PETA, as I mentioned before, just won't give it a rest. They attended the StarCraft II Heart of the Swarm Midnight Launch and handed out Zerg Have Feelings 2 pamphlets. Really? Yeah. This is, uh, of course, following uh, the news about them uh, taking issue with the whaling in uh, in Assassin's Creed 4. That I can have a little it's, bit more understanding. Yeah. This is just... It's, it's a publicity grab. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's pretty much the only reason PETA does anything anymore is to try to drum up more, you know, action towards their website. And so they're, they're always doing riffing on whatever the latest popular thing is, try to yeah. grab that, that attention. Gangnam Style doesn't respect the horses enough. <laughs> yes. They're stuck in their stables through the whole song. Horses. <laughs> because horses being in their stables as opposed to out in the rain and in the elements is such a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Would you like to read the next headline, Mr. John? Or... Uh, me? Yeah. yeah. Oh. We'll, just, we'll just kind of cycle through. Yeah, sure. Uh, photorealism in games is becoming more and more viable, as evidenced by new stations break, mistaking game footage for real life. Last year, a British television station used Arma 2 footage in documentary. Last week, Danish station used a screenshot from Assassin's Creed during a report about Syria. And I, the best thing about this is that, like, they used footage for uh, a screenshot from Assassin's Creed One, you know, from back in two thousand seven, like. And, and and Assassin's Creed 1 takes place in, you know, one of the cities is Damascus, but it's from, you know, during the Crusades. And it's like, did you really think that Damascus still looks like that? Okay. Totally. Yeah. Um, Payday 2 is coming out this summer on PC, PS3, and 360. Uh, so Payday 1 um, was, uh, you know, this this four-player co-op game. It was, it's been described as uh, Left 4 Dead with uh, bank heists. And um, I, think, I think I got it uh, when Theo bought, like, a two-pack and then gave me one of the copies. Um, and it's, it's pretty fun. Um, so I look forward to seeing what they've got in store for us with number two. Ooh. So, Humble Bundles are always cool, and the latest one is no exception. 
all of the games available in the Pay What You Want pack are compatible not only with Windows, Mac, and Linux, but Android as well. The games are Beat Hazard, Dynamite Jack, Solar 2, and Night Sky. And if you pay more than the current average amount, you get Dungeon Defenders, Splice, Crayon Physics, and two games that we reviewed on 8-Bit, Super Hexagon, and Super Brothers, Sword and Sorcery. Ooh. I recommend them highly. Yeah. And if you haven't gotten them already. Yeah. I bought the whole pack even though I already had, you know, two out of those six games or however many they are. <laughs> no, I mean, it's a great deal. Oh, yeah. Even if you're just getting one. Yeah. Paying that much for a single game and then being able to give it to charity and or, or split it between charity and the game developers is a really cool thing. Yeah. Love Humble Bundles. It's a, it's a great setup and I'm glad they're doing well enough to keep them going. Yeah. And then they had the intro version Humble Bundle a little bit ago. Even though I bought all their games like four or five times, but I bought them again anyways. <laughs> Might have to look into those guys now. Oh, yeah. No, all their games are absolutely amazing. Um, Darwinia is accessible and beautiful, and the music's great. Mm. Um, so definitely it's a good place to start. Uplink is a bit harder to get into. It's a bit dated now, but it's uh, definitely pretty fun. And Defcon is a real quick uh, pick-up-and-play game. It's like a five, ten minute. It's actually uh, inspired by war games like we were talking about earlier. Hmm kind of having that uh being in a bunker underground and tossing nukes around and... oh prison architect oh i've heard of yes this. yes those guys that's their, their new thing all, all their old games had this really kind of uh techie aesthetic it was really kind of nice hmm. all right then the next one is you so uh, the esrb is changing how restrictive they are on marketing materials the publisher of an m-rated game makes a trailer that's approved for general audiences they can show it without age gates. Cross-marketing for games with different ratings is also possible, now if they can prove uh, that they have the same fan base. An example would be Sony putting a paper insert for God of War, which is rated M, and Uncharted Boxes, which is rated T. So, yeah, it's kind of similar to, you know, when you go to uh, the theater and you see, you know, these previews for, for movies that are, you know, actually, you know, rated R, but the trailer has been cut so that, you know, you don't see any of the nudity or blood or anything. Right. Um, so Valve has kind of broken away from the piston, which was, uh, XI3's take on the Steambox concept. It appears that the reasoning for this was because, uh, the piston will be coming out on Windows and Valve is really trying to push the whole, you know, Linux gaming thing. Um, the reasoning that XI3 gives for their decision was that they want gamers to be able to access all of their games from, you know, all sorts of sources, including non-Steam sources, um, and, you know, they say that Windows is the best platform at this point. And I agree with them. Um, we'll have to see, you know, how many how many other games uh, eventually get ported to Linux. Um, but at this point, you know, the vast majority of my library is only, you know, compatible with Windows. Well, it's uh, even growing more as more people use engines like Unity um, and other such. Because, like, like, Unity, for example, ports to all three platforms and phones. So it's it's getting easier and easier for developers to make games for more platforms without an extra duress on their part. That's really nice. And I notice, um, right. I notice that the the last few games that you that Level Zero made um, were based on um, XNA. That's what it's called, right? XNA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, which is now dead. Yes. <laughs> so how do you feel about that? Um, I'm glad I didn't stay with XNA. <laughs> um, if, if I was still trying to make Microsoft games, I'd be kind of pissed about that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it was it was nice for when I had it. But um, it's too bad that they're not continuing it. I mean, I'm sure they'll come out with something better. 
No, that's sort of how life works. Make a mistake, grow from it. Yeah, that's definitely how Microsoft works. What? What? I'm not making jokes. <laughs> anyway, so a new DLC for Dishonored is coming. Yeah! Done while lets you play as Dao, the assassin who killed the Empress, who was searching for redemption. Comes out April 16th for $10. Nice. And done. Hopefully <laughs> I'll have uh, Bioshock Infinite finished by that time. Uh, nope. I still finished the first uh, Dishonored. I think I got about halfway through it. But, um, Cyberpunk 2077 is still a long ways off, but CD Projekt Red has revealed there will be multiplayer. Of course. Yeah, it's a, a long ways off, isn't it? Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, because we know that they're working on uh, The Witcher 3, like, first. Right. And I guess they've just been kind of throwing ideas around for 2077. Yeah, I, I guess they're trying to write off uh, some of that Shadowrun uh, nostalgia that was happening with all the Shadowrun games being relaunched on Kickstarter. So this brushed the announcement. <laughs> now they're going to be feeding us information over the next three years. Yay! And I mean, I when I when I watched that first trailer, I was sold. I was just like, oh my <laughs> god, take my money. Cyberpunk's yeah. a fantastic game. It'll be interesting to see what they do with it. It sounds like they're making some good decisions. But see the actual yeah. game turns out. Yeah. A former Sony employee filed a lawsuit against Nintendo claiming that they infringed on a patent of his uh, with their <laughs> glasses-less 3D that they used in the 3DS, and he won. So he's being awarded $30, $30 million. It's a good haul. Yeah. It's kind of surprising. In what part? Just that they would be able to do something... Um, or like if they were able to rip off something like this and then have it be that public and that well known. It's I don't think it's so much about ripping off. Like a lot of these patent lawsuits are just there. There's so many patents that like even with a specialized team of lawyers they have, it's impossible to find uh, every single variation. So you'll just invent something and then end up ripping someone off that's already existed. Yeah, it's the the, the whole the patent conflict causes uh, lots of undue duress and. No one benefits but the lawyers. Yeah. Do you think that this guy intentionally kind of waited until the 3DS was clearly a success and then went, all right, sue him? Mm, or do you think, think that he uh, just totally didn't hear about the 3DS and didn't realize that his patent was being infringed? Well, I, I know if it's already uh, settled and he's won, then he's probably been at this for quite a few years already. Mm. I mean, the legal process is definitely a slow one. <laughs> I mean, if he's American, then he definitely just did it right away. <laughs> it, it reminded me of a web, one of my favorite web comics. There's one called Scandinavia in the World. And one of the more recent ones was um, Battle Cries from Around the World. There was like one that was like French with the, the French characters screaming and shouting, Ville la France! Um, there was another one where it was like a Viking shouting and just shouting something. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was something like for Valhalla or something like that. Then the bottom was was the Americans. Also, you. <laughs> there was a lot more talking that was worth being funny. <laughs> All right. So ArenaNet announced Flame and Frost: The Raising, the third installment of their Living Story campaign, and it will unveil your nemesis. Apparently, it will begin on March twenty sixth. Mm. Yay! Interesting. I have right. gear bombs. So we have. Uh... Gearbox is teasing a new Vault Hunter, the short trailer, and we'll find out more on March 24th. You know, every time that we hear more Borderlands news, Ian and I always go, we need to play that more. And then it doesn't happen. Oh. (laughs) 
We're bad. Yeah. Well, part of it is I became slightly busier on weekends, going up to the cities. Mm, mm-hmm. Hey, you know, I'm kind of in a relationship with someone now. There, but, uh, you know, I almost said, hey, I'm on spring break. I don't have anything to do. Oh, I didn't bring my desktop with me. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. Well, I wouldn't have been able to this past week anyway. Yeah. I had a big test. Well, two big tests that I was setting for. My mom's definitely happy that I didn't bring the desktop home, though. Mom's. That's because she's your mom. Yeah. So Gabe Newell revealed a couple of interesting pieces of information for us. Valve's business increased by 50% last year, and during Dota 2's last update, they were generating 3.5 terabits per second, which is 2% of the total land and mobile-based internet activity. Holy crap. Like, wow. Steam is huge. <laughs> Surprised Dota 2 has caused so much activity. Yeah. Well, um, last week we found out that Dota 2, it, um, you know, broke the, uh, the, the most concurrent players on Steam record, uh, which was previously held by Skyrim. And, you know, <laughs> now Dota 2 has the record for most concurrent players, even though it hasn't even released yet. That's <laughs> uh, impressive. All right, so the Castle Doctrine is an MMO about robbing other players' homes. Whenever you are logged out or busy robbing someone else's house, your house is vulnerable. The game has security cameras that allow you to see who robbed you, but they were originally created to catch cheaters. The game is still in alpha, but they have already caught a few. Including the uh, the creator. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. I read the, uh, the Rock, Paper, Scissors article about it, and uh, Jason Rohr, um, he set up this trap in a way that... Uh, when someone comes through and triggers it, then it causes the pit to open, and then the people that come in after them can't cross the pit, and it's just permanently set that way. But in order for, for the, the player to get back, he has to you know reset the thing and undo the, the, the pit traps. But uh, I don't know, I, I'm a huge fan of his other works. Uh, Jason Rohr is the same guy who did uh, Passage and uh, some, like, A Space in Between, and um, yeah, all, all these little cool games that are these little... Uh, little perspectives into how to use mechanics to communicate feeling. Uh, after that, we have uh, the week's most bizarre news of the Frisky's Games for Cats Hackathon. It's a game jam to make games for your cats. Yep. Sounds not, not like a worthy cause. And there will be people who buy it, I can guarantee. Yeah. I would imagine the claws would be a problem. With the iPad screens and all that. Oh man, my sisters are bad enough. You know, <laughs> leaving little things from their dirty fingers all over the screen. Uh, it was a there's a, a, a game for geckos. Um, it has like ants running up the screen, and they can oh. stick the little tongue at it and try to eat them and, and splat the ants. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's interesting and amusing, but uh, a good 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 topic for a game jam, I guess. Something mm. short and fast. So Civilization V is uh, going to be getting another expansion pack this summer. It's called A Brave New World, and it adds nine new civilizations, eight new wonders, and a couple of new scenarios, the uh, American Civil War and the Scramble for Africa. So this expansion is focusing on making the second half of the game more compelling, uh, which, in my opinion, has always kind of been one of uh, the Civilization franchise's downfalls. Um, in particular, they are making the culture and diplomacy victories uh, much more active. I mean, like, for example, uh, whenever I go for 
you know, a cultural victory. I just kind of get all of the technologies that give me world wonders and, you know, give me great artists and everything. And then by the time I'm halfway through the game, I have all of those technologies and everything else is just kind of, you know, military technologies. Yeah. The problem with the cultural victory was that it's always a very passive thing where it's it's, it's, it's accumulating points, basically. Mm-hmm. It's, you're not engaging in a war or planning something strategically. You're, you're just waiting for these things to keep going up. And hoping uh, that nobody they, attacks now, you in the meantime. Yeah. But now they have these, these great works that you have to like position around uh, in your in your cities to, to get different influences or boosts depending on where you put them. And you're trying to get as much tourism as you possibly can from your rival nations. Right, right. And uh, they also added the uh, the trade routes, which sounded interesting, where you can uh, take the, the riskier long trade route for extra gain, or you can use a trade route to funnel supplies towards one of your smaller settlements. So it's, it's kind of like the, the old caravans they used to have. Hmm. Was that in one of the previous Civilization titles? Yeah, I think it was in two or three... Um, but yeah, you used to be able to create a caravan and then send it to a city. And then when it got there, it, you know, it, if it was, it unload for money or if it was your own city, you could drop a bunch of food off, which is a, a good way for getting those cities that are on a good location of mm. some, like supplies, but not a good like farming location. Yeah, I've, I've definitely had that problem a few times. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hmm. All right. So this one might be a little bit more interesting for, well, Really interesting for John. The indie market is thriving in the United States and Europe, but we don't hear much about the independent developers from Japan. The first annual Bit Summit aims to change that. Don't expect huge announcements and trailers, though. It looks like a summit for the developers. That'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I really don't know anything about uh, the Japanese indie scene. Uh, the European and American indie scene are, are pretty well connected, but, uh, but yeah, I, I have I don't, I don't even know what the state of the industry is in the country. Yeah, like from from what the article said, um, in Japan, it's much more culturally uh, acceptable to, you know, go and work at a an established company and, right. you know, going off and doing your own thing isn't so much encouraged. Having a, a real job is a very important cultural thing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> air quotes all around. But, uh, yeah, they're, I do know that China, actually, um, I've been hearing on occasion about their growing uh, indie, indie markets. Yeah. And the great thing about China is that, I mean, everybody has PCs and, you know, consoles are banned. Right. We also have the uh, Saints Row 4 announcement. Well, Saints Row 3.75, really. <laughs> um, it's a release date for August 20th. Um, be wondering what they're doing to make this entry in the series even crazier than the previous one. Well, the leader of the Saints, which is you, has been elected president, and you must fight off an alien invasion with your superpowers. Yeah, they're, they're really going all out. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of the franchise. It, it's, it's it's pretty fun, and uh, the, the hover bikes, the last one, were very sexy. <laughs> so game crossovers are great. But a lot of them are limited to, you know, getting special edition hats in TF2. So this one's a little bit more interesting. Resident Evil 6 and Left 4 Dead 2 are trading characters. Ellis, Rochelle, Nick, and Coach will be playable in the uh, the Mercenaries No Mercy mode in, uh, in Resident Evil 6. And the Tank and the Witch will appear in the regular campaign as enemies. And then on the flip side, three of uh, Resident Evil 6's enemies, which is Lepotista, Napad, and Ogroman... 
I'm probably totally butchering those, <laughs> will be added to Left 4 Dead 2's uh, Steam Workshop. Hmm. Yeah. No more Hat Fortress 2. <laughs> uh, I might find that interesting if I knew anything about the Resident Evil series, but I completely missed that one. Yeah. I've heard that uh, it's kind of just become, you know, a collection of cutscenes with a little bit of gameplay in between. <laughs> That sounds like a lot of PlayStation games nowadays. There's some that have got to be a little bit more. Journey. Journey. Yeah. Well, actually, uh, my friend introduced me to this uh, Tokyo Jungle game um, where you, you play uh, an animal in uh, Tokyo after it's been taken back by nature. And it's hmm. it's all about, you know, like eating, uh, like if you're a predator, then you like eat other animals and try to stay away from the bigger ones. And uh, it's this neat little predator prey game. Hmm. Do you ever get to be on the top of the food chain? Uh, you can play a um, Japanese salary man, um, <laughs> but that's actually closer to the bottom of the food chain because you're a, you're a, an omnivore, but you mostly just eat plants, and most of the tigers and bears can kill you pretty easily. But yeah, you can you can unlock the uh, bigger dogs by you know playing the pomeranian until you can uh, go up to a, a Labrador retriever or something. So there's no Will Smith in that one. <laughs> No, no, Will Smith. Darn. Damn. Oh, well. We'll find another place for him to be in. <laughs> Assassin's Creed Rising Phoenix was temporarily listed as a PS Vita game with the release date October 10th. So we are likely looking at a spin-off game similar to Assassin's Creed 3 Liberation. Guess what else is happening on October 10th? Oh, I might have to drive up tomorrow for that one. <laughs> yeah, but that's on a Thursday. Why would you come up to wish me happy birthday on a Thursday? <laughs> Fine, Friday night. I'll come up. You are not going to force feed me alcohol. I won't force feed you. I'll just take whatever you don't want. Great. Well, have a have a happy birthday seven months early. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, next up we have uh, Battlefield 4 has been in the works since last July. And we already know that's coming out to next-gen consoles. EA will be holding an unveiling event on March 26th to let us know even more of what we can expect when it arrives. I know a lot of people are looking forward to that one. Yeah. So, I love the Battlefield games. Yeah. A new uh, Warhammer 40,000 strategy game is in development by Slytherin, which are, who are the publishers of Unity of Command. This title will be turn-based, and so maybe it'll be uh, pretty similar to the tabletop game. Who knows? Cool. That could be interesting. Mm-hmm. Actually, um, Sam Roth was telling me about uh, you know the Warhammer 40k universe, and it's just like the craziest sci-fi universe I have ever heard of. It really is. It's, uh, it's uh, space Nazis and the giant space inquisition and blowing up planets and all that kind of crazy big big pauldron kind of stuff. Space Nazis? Oh yeah. Uh, the 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 the, uh, the the humans are basically this zealot race that's trying to purge everyone else and. Uh, very much you know, with the, the stall motif and very uh, persecutorial and oh golly well I, I know about Warhammer 40,000 Space Marine but I didn't know that they were supposed to be that big of dicks oh yeah <laughs> yeah they, 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 they kill everybody you know it's a grim dark future so great orcs everywhere orcs everywhere See, I thought that you were just defending from the orcs and were going on the offensive. Nope, you're trying to wipe them out. Good luck with I that. Don't want to play that game again. 
don't like being Hitler. <laughs> it's all about purge the xenos. Yes. Well, I purge mean, the xenophobes. And and then on the other side of things, you know, there's the uh, Tyranids who are essentially, you know, this giant hive mind fleet that, uh, you know, is so big that we're like, you know, the, our galaxy is like a cookie that it's eating and we're just like bacteria on that cookie. Yeah. That could be a problem too. And there are the, uh, the Necrons, which are a giant race of <laughs> robot undead that just want to kill everything because that's what they are programmed to do. So there is a lot of defending more than being on the yeah. offense. Basically, it's everyone wants to kill everyone else. Yeah, nobody's the good guy here. <laughs> oh, Every, everybody does terrible things. Oh, in the grim dark future, there is only war. Oh, <laughs> I don't like this grim dark future. Well, that's why it's grim and dark, I suppose. Oh, all right. So, so moving on to something a little bit more cheery, I think. Mode Seven, the makers of Frozen Synapse, have announced Frozen Enzo. Do I yeah. get to score frozen touchdowns? Yes, anyway. actually. Ooh. It takes the same <laughs> it takes the same asynchronous turn-based strategy from frozen synapse and applies it to a futuristic football-like sport. So yes, end zones. Exactly. Yeah. I do. Oh my. Touchdowns. Yeah, I, I'm not too surprised based on how frozen synapse played, but uh, it was a bit strange to see them go for a full-on sports game kind of Thing. Yeah, after a squad-based, um, you know, top-down like shooter. Yeah, like a cyberpunky clone uh, fight the power kind of storyline to just straight up like sport game. Mm-hmm. We also have uh, Metagel has become a reality. A college student in New York has developed a medical gel called Vetagel that, when inserted into a wound, stops bleeding and supposedly has no negative side effects, or at least some have been discovered so far. It's pretty cool how many good inventions come from the sci-fi world. I love it how it's it's the name of it is also Medigel without the M. Yeah. The V. That's, yeah. And that that last little bit that I had included in that headline, it's pretty cool how many good inventions come from the sci-fi world. Actually, um has a little bit of a basis. There was in my past J term I took this class called Sci-Fi Science. And the very first movie that we watched in class was this um, documentary narrated by William Shatner. Who else? Um, yeah. Of course. About a bunch of different technological advancements that had happened because of different things in the sci-fi world. Yeah, Star Trek had a lot of that, a lot of influence. Cell phones. We wouldn't have cell oh, yeah. phones without that person communicator thing. <laughs> Imagine how much different the world would be. Yeah. And they're they're prototyping out the uh, the medical scanners as well. That kind of that all-purpose medical scanner. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure that even if you know some science fiction writer didn't think of it first, I'm sure that right. somebody would have thought of that kind of thing eventually. This is more about getting it into the zeitgeist and yeah. getting everyone more people interested and making it happen. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. So that's all the headlines we have for this week. Um. I don't have any reviews for today because uh, I haven't really been playing video games because I haven't had my computer. What about you, Ian? I had a really big test this past week that I was freaking out about. I didn't play any video games until yesterday, and that was just Guild Wars all day long. <laughs> all right, so um, final thing for today is a few new releases that came out this week. God of War Ascension on the PS3. StarCraft II, Heart of the Swarm, came out on PC, of course. And uh, the Minecraft 1.5 Redstone update came out. Oh, by the way, um, 
I have Minecraft now. A couple, oh, a couple of my friends uh, pitched in ten bucks each to make me buy Minecraft. So there goes my life. I I've had Minecraft for a while. If you find a server to play on, let me know. <laughs> I'll lose my life with you. The other bad news is that apparently uh, there's a a Minecraft club starting up at Morris, and they're going to have a server. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, they just made that new uh, Minecraft Realms thing, too. So it's easier to get a server up. Mm. That's good, because, I mean, like, my brothers kept having to, uh, you know, mess around with, with virtual networks and everything, and... Which is, I mean, if it weren't for Minecraft, they wouldn't have ever touched that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. We've actually had a Minecraft server running out of our house for a while. Um, actually off my computer, just left it running all day and had a nice little thing going. It would be nice to offload that to a cloud server. Yep. <sighs> you know, and God of War, I, I almost want to get a PlayStation just so that I can play the Gods of War games because I, I have a PSP. And I've played through the PSP God of War games, and I've fallen in love. Wow. True. Wow. Didn't we do that in an intro one time? I think so. Yeah, I remember this. <laughs> yeah, because we had yeah because we had a crossover on our show because we we were we were like mixing two different franchises, oh, two yeah. different references in one. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Now we have to go back and listen to all of our previous episodes to find out. Find out which one. <laughs> well, John, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. So this is uh, Ian Buck signing off. And Game Decker. I'll see y'all later. Bye, everybody. Have a great week. <laughs>